Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Legends Lounge. I'm True Withers, and with me in the lounge today, we have former Glenn Wilson Wildcat and North Carolina Tar Heel. He was a three-time champion with the Chicago Bulls. He's a current color analyst with the Grand Canyon Antelopes and a recent author, which we will get into. Scott Williams, thank you for joining us, man. First things first, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Glenn A. Wilson Wildcats. Heck yeah, shout out to the Wildcats out there in Hacienda Heights. Way to represent uh, state champs in 86, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, you were on that team. Uh, no. What's that? Were you on that? You were on that 8016? I, 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 heck yeah, I, I was. Uh, you know, they couldn't have done it without me, as they say. <laughs> exactly. We had, we had a great coach and Mike Lowe and tremendous teammates. And, and you know, the, the it was just local kids, right? We grew up playing baseball mm-hmm. and kicked the can and ditched the lights and uh, hide and go seek together. So it was kind of a, it was really cool that. Uh, the guys I grew up with, you know, riding bikes up in the hills and chasing lizards and all that kind of stuff that we went on, <laughs> that we went on to accomplish something that uh, has uh, certainly been very special to all of us over the years. We try to get back and, and get together and have reunions and so forth. So uh, I, I always cherish those moments of my, my Wilson Wildcat days. Definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll get uh, to and through your career. But as I mentioned, you are a recent author. A uh, book just came out, Through the Fire, a memoir of trauma and loss, basketball and triumph. First, yeah, I got to throw, throw it out there since you plugged since you pl- No, pl- no, no, please, please. Uh, yeah, wearing where my Bulls jersey there. Got some rings <laughs> on the cover there. Yeah, uh, I wrote this with Ben Guest. Uh, it kind of hatched during the pandemic. Uh, when everything shut down, you know, the NCAA tournament got canceled. The NBA yep. had to shut their season to the, you know, later in the summer in the bubble. Uh, and Michael Jordan's Last Dance came out, the 10-part documentary. And, man, I, I made my week surrounding, you know, that Sunday evening when he was yep. going to put out two episodes because just wanted basketball. And I loved That's all the we fact- had, man. That's all we had. <laughs> you know, I, I planned my Maggiano's and my parent <laughs> with my wine, the whole deal. So, um, you know, we get on some pods and radio shows with some of my old former teammates, Will Perdue and Stacey King, BJ Armstrong, and start, you know, chopping it up about those old days. And I put some of those stories on Facebook and Instagram, and people were going, dude, you should write a biography. Well, I didn't know the first thing about writing a book, but just so happened Ben Guest was looking for somebody to help him with some basketball terminology. So I said, if I help you with your book, will you help me with mine? So uh, he finished his, and then we got started. And, um, you know, we, I was telling all my stories about the Bulls days in North Carolina. And then he said to me, Scott, well, what happened before, you know, before you got to Chapel Hill? Mm-hmm. And that's when it got real. That's when it got raw and real emotional for me because uh, I grew up in a household with a lot of domestic violence, both verbal and physical abuse. And I think sometimes the verbal abuse was even worse. And um, often asked my mother – you know, why doesn't she just leave my, my father? It was a bad situation. And she said she would when she got her babies out of the house, you know, me and my older brother. So when I was away in, uh, in uh, Chapel Hill my freshman year, she left my father. Uh, and, it was a, and during my sophomore year, uh, there was a knock on my door the first day of practice, and my roommate answered and said, uh, Coach Smith's here to see you. And I said, oh, my God, what did I do? I must have messed up. It was 730 It can't in the be good news. Can't be good. He'd never been to the dormitory, certainly not at 730 right. in the morning. And uh, I thought I'd missed a class or, you know, failed an assignment. And I was going to be running back and forth in the uh, practice facility to the <laughs> golf course and back or running those stairs with a weighted vest. I broke out into a cold sweat instantaneously. But uh, he walked in, asked Jeff to step out of the room, and he sat me down, and uh, he said that my father had found my mother and uh, shot her and, and uh, killed her, and then he, he killed himself. Mm. And um, that was hard to, to talk about, hard to write about. I had a lot of, a lot of dark days. 
um, I wanted to quit the team and go back to California, be a little closer to Cal, you know, to uh, friends and some family. Mm. But uh, Coach Smith said no, and um, I'm glad he did because you know that being having to lock into a Dean Smith practice uh, on days where I hadn't slept the night before, or I'd been hitting the alcohol too hard and having a lot of dark thoughts that um, that basketball court became therapeutic to me, trying to lock in on what he was teaching, um, pushing myself. You think it hard. helped being far from home at that point? I don't know if it helped being far from home, but what helped was the culture that he has, had established at North Carolina. Mm -hmm. That was important that um, everybody from the coaching staff, the SID, the athletic director, people that worked in the office, and of course all of my teammates, we were um, even in the early – you know, mid eighties, rather a, a, a group with people from London or New York or the Midwest or down South. So we were all scattered from far, you know, parts far away. And we became family when we were on school there. And I don't even realize some of my teammates might not even realize rather that just going to grab a burger or a movie or, um, you know, uh, doing something on, on Franklin street was a, a source of therapy and support for me. Right. Um, and so that was very fortunate during a very bad time in my life to be with a man like Coach Smith that um, cared more about his players than he did uh, winning basketball games. Not to say he wasn't competitive now. Oh, you know, definitely. He got out to his heart to get the best out of us on that court. But um, uh, he, he promised my mother uh, when she shipped me off to school that, uh, that, that he would look out for me. And that he promised me two things. I'd be a better person when I left school uh, and I'd get a quality education. And uh, that was pretty, that was all true. Mm. So with the book, you know, sharing such intimate parts of your life, why, why now? Why did this feel like the time now to write the book? Well, you know, it, it, I asked myself that sometimes too. It was almost 36 years ago that this uh, tragic event happened to me. And I remember something that Coach Smith said to me that, uh, Every day in practice, the players had to remember three things. The offensive emphasis of the day, the defensive uh, emphasis of the day, which, you know, might be sprint back on defense and, and build out. And, but the, the most important thing that had nothing to do with basketball was the thought for the day. And it came from world leaders and um, politicians, uh, sports icons, pop culture figures. Just a little word of wisdom. Yeah, for just a, yeah, yeah, a collective word of wisdom to get you thinking about something other than basketball, but something important to the development of life and community. And um, one that was a reoccurring theme was it's never too late to do the right thing. And I don't remember who said it, but um, it hit home to me when I was when we first started working on this. And there was times when I thought, you know, this is too much. I don't, I don't need to be dealing with the Twitter trolls about, um, you know. Having watching my brother get hit upside the head with a wine jug and, and blood spurting all over the house, uh, hotel room and hotel security and all the lies and, and the memories of that. I thought my brother was dead. Um, you know, having to stack pots and pans in front of my bedroom door. So if my father walked in at night, that I'd be, you know, alerted uh, out of out of a sleep. Um, I didn't want that. That's shameful. And. I didn't want the world to know that, but then I remember my mama didn't raise no sissies. So if I can help a young man, a young boy or a young girl, or even a young woman, that might be in a, an abusive situation, realize that if a person like Scott Williams, who wasn't no NBA uh, all-star, uh, certainly, but um, had a will and a strength and the confidence to confide in people that could provide resources and help and, and support that they can do it too. Right. Uh, I'm not more special than anybody else. So if that, I'm not trying to save a life, but if I can change one, alter one, and get somebody to try to stay on track, then it was worth writing. Because there was days I thought I would just put in a safety deposit box and give it to my kids after, uh, after the dirt. But um, uh, I think that, that my mother would have wanted me and raised me stronger than, than that. And um, so I, I wrote this book to honor her and coach Smith They're on the, back cover which i didn't show you uh of this book that's my mm. mom that's my mom uh claire everyone called her rita rita williams and uh coach smith i, I think i didn't know it at the time but i think it's because she liked the margarita or three uh that's how she got it. you know nickname. that's a good nickname to have though 
That's right. Uh, I know it, some tough stories for sure, but what, what would you say, what was your favorite part to look back and reminisce on? Writing the you book? Know, I, I think the, the love for my mother, when I, when I talk about my first love of sports, and I like all sports, uh, hockey, basketball, baseball, football. Hockey. California in, hockey guy? I'm into, I'm into everything, um, especially one of the reasons I think I settled here in Phoenix when I retired was because of the four major sports. And um, my mother was my earliest coach uh, in baseball when I – my older brother wouldn't let me tag along with him and his friends. He was three years older. It was my mom that grabbed me and took me in the backyard and, and hit grounders to me and taught me how to field, how to catch the, catch the ball, get it out of my mitt quickly, and, and then throw with accuracy. Um, so those memories came flooding back to me, and they, were, and they were quite special. I was a pretty darn good baseball player. I remember the, the coaches in Little League cried when I told them I wasn't going to come go out for uh, the season, the next season, because I, I uh, was so good. Was so was good, like, how, how old were you then? I, when did, when did I, was about, I was 13, I was 13, 14 and still leading the league in home runs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was a pitcher in first base at that point. But uh, the game got slow to me. And I liked the quick, fast paced action of basketball. I had hit some growth spurts. Not that I wasn't already tall, but I could use my size advantage against guys my own age and certainly against even my brother's uh, friends. So, that became where I, I kind of knew that my interest was and probably my best opportunity to try to uh, – I wanted to be a UCLA Bruin, a Los Angeles Laker, so badly growing up in Southern California. So uh, that never worked out, but uh, things worked out the way they were supposed to. That's what I was going to ask you. California guy, L.A. area, was there pressure on you to stay home? go to UCLA? I wouldn't say there was pressure. I, I wanted to go to UCLA very badly. And I toted this little, uh, you know, Bruin book bag to and from school from probably about the third or fourth grade. Uh, well, right up into like, you know, a sophomore, junior in high school, they was so tattered and torn and had sewed back <laughs> together and, pat, you know, iron iron patches on it, the whole the whole nine yards. That's, uh, Mama wasn't spending more money for back bag. Right. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, one thing that Coach Smith was, he's very crafty because of the five official home visits that I had, one of those was UCLA. Coach Smith was the only one that invited my mother on the official recruiting trip with me back to North Carolina. <laughs> so he got to my mom's. And I tell coaching you, what, that's old coaching trick. Friday, <laughs> and by the time we left on a Sunday, she was nudging me like, hey, right. tell Coach Smith you're coming to school here. But I this hadn't where we're going. visit to UCLA yet. So I couldn't do it then, but I was I was uh, pretty well knew that I uh, that this was that was the right place for me. But that was you know long that was a hard thing for me. I was a mama's boy, you know, going three thousand right. miles away from home before, you know, cell phones and you know, we didn't have we didn't have pagers back then. So you had to write a letter, take four or five days to get across the country. No emails, you know, nothing like that. So uh, it was a big commitment, but. Um, uh, like I said, I, I could tell that Coach Smith really did care more about me as a, as a, as a person than he did a, as a player. Because he'd been telling me, hey, I'll promise you this many shots or you'll play or you'll start, you know, this many minutes. He'd be telling the same cat right behind me the next, the next thing the next year. So that all I wanted was a fair opportunity to compete. And he gave me a quality education, make me a better person. I'll, I'll make the rest work. Hmm. Now, you play with a number of guys that went on to also play in the NBA while you were at Carolina. Who's somebody who's better than we realize than people realize? Well, we had, I had a lot of good players that I played with. You know, you know, you know, the names Kenny Smith and, and Joe Wolf went on to be first round draft choices. I write about them in the book and and how they helped me prepare for my first year in college. Uh, you know, Rick Fox and, uh, was right behind me. J.R.E. was my classmate. Um, Hubert Davis, who is now the head coach mm -hmm. at the University of North Carolina, went on to play uh, with the Knicks. My another classmate of mine, Pete Chilcutt, won championship ring with the Houston Rockets. So, uh, you know, George Lynch was a freshman um, when I was when I was in school there, went on to play with the Los Angeles Lakers. So we, we're very proud of the uh, Carolina fa family, everybody, but certainly the Tar Heels that have gone on to, to play and star in the NBA that, uh, well, we're a very tight knit group. Hmm. In your four years at Carolina, looking back, what would you say you're most proud of? You know, I, I think I'm, I'm most proud of the community and the family that um, 
that we that we established there. There was a tradition at Carolina that was uh, important to uphold. Uh, Coach Smith had laid a foundation. The guys back in the 60s and the 70s that still came around the program, and I think we passed on those traditions to the guys that that came behind us. Winning an ACC championship, going undefeated, 14 and 0. Uh, winning the ACC tournament um, against a very powerful Duke team when they had the National Player of the Year and, and Danny Ferry and Christian Leitner was on that squad too. Those are special moments anytime. Yeah, I'm sure you remember those uh, very well. Yeah, but 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 the the family uh, bond and tradition in Carolina was the most important thing. We made sure we kept that intact. Now you you play your four years there. You leave UNC. You're undrafted, but you don't know that yet, or do you? Like, what, what do you remember about the draft process? Oh, pain! The more <laughs> painful night. I, yeah, that was to- what. What? <laughs> what's yeah, stands out you know, to you I'll all always, these years you later? Know, I'm bitter. I always say the draft is overrated. <laughs> Talk about it. Why? Why do you say you that? The draft coming up. I said, don't worry about these guys. You know, I've always pulled for the undrafted guys to make it stick and and do well in the NBA. But, um. You know, I had a bad shoulder. My right shoulder used to just sub, uh, sublex and dislocate during practice and ball games. I'd pop it back in and keep on playing. But uh, draft night, uh, you know, I was projected to be a low lottery pick, our first low first rounder. And um, uh, I think that shoulder scared a lot of general managers away because I slipped out of the first round. Heck, I slipped out of the draft. <laughs> and I knew if I was going to make the NBA, I had a small window to try to do that. And so has happened sometimes that, world works in mysterious ways um a guy named fred whitfield who was michael jordan's buddy was putting out a camp in greensboro which is about an hour from chapel hill and jordan would come up and play a, a game for the campers and he'd bring some of his guys from the nba and a lot of the charter hornets would play um, was couple, this before the draft she said this, like this is after the draft this is after, after the, the draft. Okay, okay excuse me after and uh i i was i finagled myself an uh, invitation along with a couple other uh local college players and Jordan put me on his squad, being a Carolina guy. So, you know, I got a good, hard physical game because MJ said in the locker room, he addressed everybody that was there and said, if you're not here to compete and compete hard, there's the door you can leave. Hmm. Well, that was crazy because those guys kind of looked around at each other like, you know, we're not getting paid for this, are we? They right, yeah, I thought we were here to have some fun. Yeah, they used to run up and down a brother-in-law basketball uh, and dunk and shoot threes and stuff. But it was a real physical game. And uh, my old teammate, J.R. Reed, played, and he gave me a good, strong game. Well, that was my game, uh, physicality, getting them bored, moving guys around. And I think that caught MJ's eye because he'd been getting bullied by the Pistons in the playoffs the three previous years. Right. So I got, a, I got a ball late that game down one, and I found 23 over in the right corner with his tongue half out of his mouth. And I fired a strike to him, and he knocked down what was the game winner. And as he's leaving the uh, arena, and I didn't know who he was on the phone with, but I remember this red Corvette with Fred. I'll never forget that. And Fred tells the story that he called Jerry Krause immediately, who was the general manager of the Chicago Bulls, and said, I think you should give Williams a tryout. So Jordan called directly to put in a good word for you. Yeah, being a true Carolina man. But I honestly, I don't think he makes that call if he doesn't think I can help him because the MJ that I knew in training camp that year was hell-bent uh, on getting past the Pistons. That's all they talked about. I'm serious. The first nights, all they talked about was having the best. They didn't hardly even talk about winning a championship. They just talked about having the best record in the Eastern Conference. So if it was a game seven, it would be in Chicago Stadium and not at the Palace of Albert Hills, which was this brand-new monstrosity of an arena uh, that held over 21,000 people. And they just didn't think they could beat the Pistons on the road and need to have that game in Chicago Stadium. So uh, our practices twice a day were a war, and Phil Jackson just let MJ go. He was a smoldering beast, and we practiced long and hard. And it was the first time in my life I thought, man, maybe I'm not cut out for this because I worked hard, and I was determined as I a free agent rookie that nobody would outwork me. And I had seven guys battling. We were seven of us battling out for that last spot on the roster. And uh, he worked us hard. And, uh, you know, that was the last guy in the van headed over to the training facility. So there was no press conference or uh, meeting with the coach. None of that. <laughs> just, kept, just kept practicing. I said, I keep showing up. Till they tell me to go home, I guess. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. What else could you really do? Like, was it? I guess what were your other options at that point? Because like you said, they were the Bulls, but they weren't the championship Bulls yet. Like Phil Jackson was coming off his first year. They hadn't got past the Pistons yet. 
So, like, were you considering other teams or other options, or was it like, no, I'm going to the Bulls? This is it. Yeah. I, I pushed all my chips to the table. Um, I almost screwed it up. I'll be honest. I almost screwed it up because uh, <laughs> I thought that it would be easier to make the Charlotte Hornets ball club because they were only two years uh, new franchise. Right. And I knew JR, and I had competed against JR, and they had Kitty Gaddison. I'd watch them play and a couple other of their bigs. Carolina thought, well, area, yeah. Yeah, they're right in Carolina. So we, wa- we watched all their games. Of course, JR was you know new to the team. He had just you know gone down there the year before he went hardship after the junior year. Uh, and we were going down to games and getting to know those guys. So I thought, well, I got a good shot to try to make this roster. But I go down there and they failed me on my physical. <laughs> so I got on a plane that afternoon, hightailed it to Chicago real quick. Uh, and then by the time I landed in Chicago, Jerry Cross goes, yeah, we heard you failed your physical in Charlotte this morning. I said, oh, no. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough for the leverage. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so they, they gave me an opportunity for the uh, rookie camp, uh, which was out at um, Loyola Marymount. And uh, did well enough there to get the veterans invite. And like I said, it beat out seven different guys. It came down to me, a guy named from, from Georgetown. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate because Coach Smith didn't just roll the balls out for all Americans. He taught us before basketball philosophy was a thing, uh, the intricacy parts of the game, time and score, movement, reading, reacting, the defense. And that's what Phil Jackson's new triangle offense really was. It was completely something a lot of people hadn't seen that Tex Winter had put in and I picked up on it pretty quickly and I got a, a bit of an edge from the, you know, from the neck up from some of the other guys that were trying out for the squad. Now, was it similar in style to what you were running in Dean or just in terms of like the, the focus, the discipline it took to, you know, kind of master a system? Yeah, it was, it was, it was nothing similar to anything that coach Smith ran. Um, it was, it was more, I, I guess the ability to, to know what everybody on the floor was going to do, not just what not your responsibilities your were for your, your own position. I had to know what John Paxson was going to be able to do if he either threw it back to the top or threw it down to the corner or threw it into the post. Uh, what the weeks, what Scotty Pippen was going to be, you know, what actions he would be making, where I was supposed to go screen for MJ. So, you know, you, you, a lot of times you feel like this, you know, this player, you know, or the bigs, you know, me and Cartwright, Grant, Stacy and Will, we were just – Basically setting a lot of picks, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, if you were if you were slow to react, if it took you too long to remember where you were supposed to go, or if you went the wrong direction, the whole thing falls apart. Throws off everything. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, there's like you know depending on what action, where the ball's initiated, what side of the floor it's on, and how the court is balanced or or unbalanced. Uh, there's 64 or more different types of reading reactions that you have to have not only your own teammates but also to the defense. So it wasn't an easy. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, UCLA cut or uh, you know, yeah, the, stand the, there, move here, uh, yeah. play sets, right? There, there was there was more to it than just that. So you've made the team. Tell me, what would you say is your welcome to the NBA moment? Well, I I, I made the team and didn't play a lot my my first part of my uh, rookie year. Um, a lot of things went into that. But I, I think towards the second half or the last, certainly the last third, I was one of the first or second bigs off the bench, uh, getting playing time into the playoffs against the Detroit Pistons. And all we had, you know, heard about was all year long, you know, trying to have that best record in the East, which we did. We had won 61 games, which hadn't been done in a long time. And we smash caked them. And I was on the floor for a lot of the actual minutes of the sweet, game. wasn't it? And that gave me – a lot of confidence in myself and a lot. And I knew it gave my, my coaching coaching staff confidence in me that I wasn't afraid of the big moment of the physicality. Um, but more importantly, I earned the trust uh, and respect of my teammates. And that was the most important thing. So when we got by the Pistons uh, going to face my hometown team, the Los Angeles Lakers, it had already felt like a championship, but I knew we had some more, some more work to do and, and playing against Magic Johnson and James Worthy, a guy I idolized, the reason why I wore number 42 at North Carolina growing up. Really? Like, it was worthy? I wanted to be worthy, man. <laughs> I tell him that all the time. I go, Big James, I go no, no disrespect. Right. <laughs> honestly, yeah, I didn't I mean nothing by it, man. Be an all-star, let alone a Hall of Famer, but that was the guy that I, I wanted to be. So now you have to kind of put all those emotions aside. Like, you're like, I got to go out here and compete and try to shut these guys down, or at least slow them. So we can get this championship. So being on that floor, the forum, um, you know, having some family there uh, was was sweet. But 
uh, I wanted my mama to be there. And, and uh, so that was the one thing that uh, made, made me kind of break down and cry that I, uh, that she wasn't there for a moment that was shared and a dream that was shared for the both of us. But um, it was, it was that kind of that moment that I realized that um, I'm not just on a roster. I'm in the NBA. Mm-hmm. When would you say you felt like you belonged? Well, I, and I write about this in the book. There's a, there's a situation the following year, and I'm firmly in the rotation at this point, but Phil Jackson pulls the plug on the starters uh, in game six of the NBA finals. We're down by 15 points. And uh, he took everybody out, but Scotty against Gibble. Portland against Portland. Yeah. Portland. Yeah. Good. Portland. I'm sorry. I should have said that. So, um, you know, they had Clyde Draxler and uh, Terry Porter. They had a squad, man. You know, Good Big Duckworth and uh, Jerome Kersey, Uncle Cliffy, Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson. Uh, so, uh, you know, those guys were already thinking, we got him. You know, we're going to tie this series up and move on to game seven. But one thing that they weren't really aware of was we never played mixed squads. We always played starters versus the, versus the subs. So every game or every practice. Yeah, we stepped on the floor with me, Bobby Hanson, BJ Armstrong, Stacey King, and he left Scotty Pippen in there. We needed a ball handler and distributor, but but um that was just your regular running crew. Yeah, like this dude don't think we're gonna be out here and be able to get it, you know, get us back in the game. So we you know, we had that like like giddy up mentality, like yeah, you think he was throwing in the town? Hundred percent. Rightfully so. Right, you, you got to rest the starters. You want to, you know, you want Jordan to get hurt going into Game Seven with a game that's already been decided. Like right. you don't want that. So he rightfully throw, he threw the towel, and we can tell it. Look at his face. But we went out there. We're gonna ball out. And you know, Hanson hits a three out of the corner, cuts it to twelve. We strip a basket underneath. Stacy King gets a flagrant foul. You know, next thing we know, we're right back in this thing. We get it down to three. And he put the black cat back in there, uh, Jordan. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. 13 of our next 17 points, we go on to win. But one thing that, you know, he took all the other subs out of the game except for me. I got to play the entire 12 minutes of the fourth quarter and an entire comeback. I just 40 points, but I blocked some shots. But you I were there. Rebounds, yeah. I blocked some shots, grabbed some rebounds. And I had that epiphany when we were standing on that scores table in Chicago Stadium and Scotty Pippen goes, hey, Tank, and he hands me that Larry O'Brien trophy. I'll never forget it. And my eyes go white as saucers. It's the first time I've had it in my hand, you know, and I raise it up over my head, and it just hits me. If I can get through everything that I've done from an unwrapped free agent rookie to hold this championship trophy over my head after one of the greatest comebacks, or excuse me, I think it was the greatest comeback in finals history, that I could play in this league as long as I wanted to. Hmm. That's no, that's that's very powerful. Uh, what message would you give to, you know, as you mentioned, the drafts about to come up? Some kids will go undrafted. What message would you give to them? Well, uh, it, it my biggest thing for a, a lot of these guys, for anybody that's that wants to uh, achieve any goal or dream that they have in their life, uh, and, a, and a big one like for me playing in the NBA, you got to be confident. And the one way you get confidence is by putting in that work. You know, Michael Jordan had extreme confidence in his ability to be able to deliver in the fourth quarter or even the final seconds of the game because he had put in that work. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, those guys go out there knowing that they can deliver for them te- their teams and themselves um, because they, they put in that work. Don't think you're going to make it in the league because uh, someone's going to give you an opportunity. Even after I had a championship, they were trying to replace me. Even if I had two championships, they were always trying to place. You always got to be working as there's always somebody trying to find something to do something better and cheaper than what you're out there trying to do. But if you're not confident in your own ability and you haven't put it into work, it'll show on that floor, and they ain't going to use you. Mm. So as you mentioned, one, two, three championships. Things are going pretty well. And then October 1993, Michael retires. Or that's, that's when he officially retires. When did yeah. you know as, as, a, as a teammate? When did you all know? Well, um, I don't remember the exact date, but the rumor started circulating uh, uh, during the course of the summer. I remember being at a White Sox game when somebody had asked me about it. And I, I immediately you know, got on the phone, tried to get in touch with them and find out if the, uh, what was going on. And You know, I, I, 
I write about this in my book. Um, I don't have too many regrets about being in the NBA, but one of them I, I do have um, is that not reaching out to Michael Jordan that summer after his father uh, was taken from him in a, in a carjacking murder situation. Uh, I guess I think I, I write that I was triggered. Um, even though six, it had been six years since, you know, my father had taken my mother's life. It was the pain came, of that moment came rushing back to me. I I've never opened, I've never opened up to him and talked to him. I don't know what I would have said, um, but I had, should have said something that I could have been there or, or even if he just wanted somebody to listen to or like people were there for me, grab a, grab a, uh, a beer or a burger or something or steak that um, I hadn't done that. So I knew MJ, I knew that pain having someone taken from you like that unexpectedly. And I knew he still loved the game. And I felt that he was retiring because he needed time to grieve and process those emotions and being the, well, not only the face of the NBA, but probably the biggest celebrity on the planet at that time, after just getting that third championship, that that, that spotlight is too big. His demands of getting pulled in so many different directions would not allow for him to be able to find some space to be able to mourn properly. Uh, so when he had said he had nothing more to accomplish, I, I wasn't buying that. Um, and I, we, we witnessed, uh, we still had a pretty good team that year. Scotty had a great year and damn near, um, most, um, b valuable player. I think he finished third behind Akeem. Is it 50 something wins as a team? Yeah. Just, just a couple fewer wins than we had the year before and, uh, took, uh, the next gave them all that they can handle and. You know, I always say, had Jordan not retired, uh, I don't think the Knicks or even the Houston Rockets would have had anything for us. We had so much swagger and so much confidence and know-how. Uh, I believe we would have gone on and won a championship that year and probably the, the, the following year as well. He, hell, he might have had eight championships uh, in a row. I mean, there would have been some parts that needed to be replaced from the original 91 team, obviously, uh, and they did a good job getting, you know, quality players in there, Steve Kerr and – uh, Co-coach came with the team that year, and um, uh, Rodman, so yeah. of course, and Harper. How could I forget those guys? Um, but, but still, that dynasty was started. It, it would have been a run, no less than seven, possibly eight championships uh, in a row. We wouldn't even be talking about some of the other teams are, or they better. <laughs> better than the Bulls and are, or is anybody as good as Michael Jordan? We're not going to see somebody win three championships in a row, retire for a couple of years and come back and win three more. And do it again. Yeah. Years or 30 years left on this planet, but I guarantee you, I ain't going to see that happen. <laughs> so what was that first year without him like? Cause your experience of the NBA had only been with Michael Jordan in it. So what is that first year? Like, like knowing that it's like, Hey, everybody else, or most of the other guys are still here. We think we have a good team, but what was, what do you remember about that year? Uh, you, you know, it was different. There's, there's no doubt about it. Scotty was a different type of leader, but still a very strong leader. He carried us uh, in ball games. I don't know if he dominated fourth quarters away MJ could, but he was a willing passer, got everybody involved. Um, I think there was kind of a chip on our shoulder because a lot of people were writing us off almost immediately. And we were three-time defending champions going into the year. So you're like, well, damn. We, we I would say most of the other faces are still I knew MJ was the greatest player of all time, you know, back in back in 93. So uh, I, Even knew, then, you know. I knew what kind of a hole that was that we that we had lost. Yeah, better than Magic, better than Bird. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I knew what kind of a, a you know, a magnificent player we had lost. But we're, we were competitive. And um, Phil Jackson was a great coach. He put us in positions to maximize our strengths and minimize our, uh, our weaknesses. So we felt like we were uh, had a good chance of winning every ball ball game that in every series we we got ourselves into. So um, yeah, I, I felt we we did we did really well without MJ. And that um, you know outside of one little hiccup uh, by Scotty in one particular game, but uh, I, I thought we were great tight-knit group um, that that worked extremely hard. And, and, you know, there was something said to what Giannis Antetokounmpo said this year after coming up short, you know, when, when they were the number one seed and Miami busted them up. Uh, there's there's really not a whole lot of shame. I don't want to say that it's not a failure, There's no, but there's no shame. And going out there and competing in something where you have to match your strength and your will and your skills against another person, 
This is not a boardroom where you're going out there and, you're, and your company fails. That's something completely all different. When you got somebody else out there with the same dreams and goals and well, aspirations, they going for the same thing you are. Going for the same thing as hard and as hungry as you are. There's no shame in that, and that's what I think that um, we can all take away from what uh, you know Yana said, and certainly that I what I remember from that '94 team. Now you you mentioned the the hiccup with Scotty the second round the next game what. Walk me through, what, what do you remember about that moment? Well, something that was completely out of character for Scotty. Um, we had, and I understand where he was coming from. And I talked to Stacey King just yesterday, uh, and we're going to be talking, you know, chopping it up later this week uh, on his podcast, Give Me the Hot Sauce. But one of the things that uh, Scotty was always good, he was always quick to invite you to go do something with him, right? If I was, hey, Tank, let's go up on, uh, uh, you know, up on uh, uh, Chicago's, uh, up on State Street and grab a couple beers after the game or go out to dinner on the road. Um, Scotty was a great teammate. He was always hard on me as a rookie. He and Horace Grant, those turkeys, <laughs> and I write about that in the book. I'd hey, fire balls at me when I was trying to, to get him on the ball rack as a rookie or kick him up to about the 30th row and I had to go run up the stairs and coach – Jackson yelling at me to get my butt back down to the huddle. But, but uh, those guys were great teammates, and, and Scotty particularly. So when – and he had earned that right to take that I'll last take that shot. shot. But in Jackson's, I guess, defense, we had run that same play earlier up in Milwaukee to success with Scotty inbounding the ball because Scotty was our best passer. And the worst thing about last-second shots is not getting a shot. So you got to have somebody that can inbound that ball and get it where it needs to be uh, to give you some opportunity. Yeah. Right. The timing's got to work. And Scotty was better than Paxson, better than B.J. Armstrong, and certainly taller to be able to get it over any kind of defender that they might put on the ball. So that was the only disappointing thing that, you know, Scotty made his point that I want the last shot. Bill Jackson told him to stand down, and then he wouldn't. Uh, and that was that was the only only negative thing about that. But – um, hell, a Hall of Famer, a great teammate, good friend. Uh, I'm not going to hold six seconds, six seconds of poor decisions against a man uh, or as a career. Sure. So after that was your last year in Chicago, right? That your fourth Once. year. So after that, you go to Philly. Why Philly? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> why, well, why Philly? Chicago, Chicago. I, I never wanted to leave Chicago, and I certainly wouldn't have left if I'd known MJ was coming back six months later. <laughs> yeah. you just could have told me, "Hey, Carolina, I'm coming back, man. Just stay tight." Yeah, and just yeah, hang, hang, hang pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I loved playing alongside MJ. I loved playing in Chicago for the Bulls and the, and the fans. There were fantastic. You can see some of the sports memorabilia that I have. Oh yeah, behind the Bulls shirt on. Those, yeah. Those were, Finest times uh, of my basketball career, certainly my NBA uh, career. And they wanted to give me another one-year deal. And I'd been playing on non-guaranteed one-year contracts. Uh, and Philly, Philly offered me eight-year fully guaranteed contract. So I, I, my agent yeah. said, and I asked, I go, Arn, you know, what do you think? He goes, what do you mean, what do I think? You know, you got to go get that <laughs> bag. They were going I, to Philly. I, yeah. I got to get that bag, you know. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, I think after I got that bag, they out loud, I was the last one to sign an eight-year contract. I was like, eight years? no more. got over on us. <laughs> we're changing that. Uh, I, I think the most you can sign now is like a five-year deal. But uh, Five is the max, yep. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, yeah, they changed that real quick, fast, in a hurry. You have to give me that money. So, uh but it was fun. I mean, we had we had some characters on that team. We they they were who would you play with out there? Oh, uh, I write about some of my book, man. I, I played with some dudes. <laughs> you know, we we had some guys. We have intervisions for guys at halftime of games. We had guys with bullet holes in their in their backsides, and you know, just just weren't professional. Didn't want to practice. You talk about practice, you know. They, <laughs> It, it was just not what I was used to in Chicago. I played with, you know, Jordan and Paxson and Cartwright. Those guys were pros. We won championships, professionalism. Not only won championships, but taught you how to be a pro. Show up on time, put in the work, lock into the scouting report and the walkthrough. Know your assignments, you know, know the player personnel. You know, not getting busted up in the first quarter because you're making mental mistakes, you're gambling for steals, and you're trying to leaving everybody else to play four on five defensively so you get your numbers you make your all-star team and that your you know your personal goals in front of the team goals i never wasn't used to that I wasn't used to that in high school college or the nba 
uh, and I write about what a disappointment that was um, because I played basketball because it was a team game. One, I knew I was never going to be a star. Uh, and, and two, I loved the idea of five guys or 12 guys, a band of brothers going out there with one goal. Uh, and you let the chips fall on the personal stuff on the side, but you got your role. Uh, and if you don't like your role, you worry about that in the offseason. Tell the coach and try to show the coaching staff you can do more in the offseason. Um, but you do your role to the best of your ability during the course of the season for the overall benefit of the ball club. Uh, we just didn't have that there, unfortunately. And um, I was burnt out on basketball playing on those squads. And as luck would have it, I got traded away to Milwaukee just to make the salaries work in a package deal with a young talent in Tim Thomas to milk. And um, it was the breath of fresh air that I needed to rejuvenate my career because there was many days ago, I still got three, four more years. All my money was backloaded. Oh, yes. I was trying to hang on mentally. And, um, but I, 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 was, I was frazzled. And uh, getting that rebirth in Milwaukee, getting plans with Ray Allen and Sam Cassell and Glenn Robinson there playing for George Carl, I had a sense of those guys wanting to do what I had done in, on my previous teams, and that was to try to win. Um, so that was that was very important in keeping me going another seven years in the league. Do you put Milwaukee, Denver, Phoenix, Dallas was like a glue guy? Was that natural for you? Or was that something like, OK, I see this is the role I'm going to have to fit. Or is that just you naturally? No, that 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 stems from my time in Chicago. I write about it in my book, what the, the influence that those older guys had on me as a rookie, you know, early uh, early player in the league. Uh, I became known as a guy in the locker room that was an extension of the coaching staff that would get guys to buy in to be professional. You know, I worked with Joe Johnson, Amari Stoudemire, and Nazi, Nazi Muhammad, Michael Red, telling those guys, you know, what it, what it takes to be a pro. It ain't just what you do between those lines. Uh, and that'll keep, that'll keep you in the league for a short period of time. You want a long career. No, uh, you want to be successful. And, I, and I'm happy. I, I look at those guys, even LeBron James, not to get any credit for what, what he's done on the floor. But I remember having the same conversations with, with LeBron James on, on, on planes. He asked me about what Pippen was like in practice. How did he get guys involved? What was MJ, his motivation? How hard did he practice? Did he practice his hard? You know, he was a sponge. And I enjoyed those moments because I, he was the first guy of all the Hall of Famers I had played with for Michael and I played with Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki. And, of course, Allen Iverson went on to be a Hall of Famer. Ray Allen, uh, you mentioned. Yeah, Ray Allen, Tony Kukoc. I, I play with a lot of really talented guys that are now, uh, you know, in Springfield, Mass. And LeBron was the first guy closest to the desire, the competitiveness, the hunger, and the talent, all those things that I saw in MJ on a daily basis, LeBron was doing at 19 years old. And that blew wow. my mind. So there's no doubt that, uh, you know, he's gone on to, you know, be in that conversation. And I, I don't care which way you lean. Um, I'm happy to see a guy that's been a face of the NBA for so long, handling himself so well outside of the lines of basketball, building a school, being civic-minded. All those types of things are so impressive to me. And when people ask me, uh, you know, who's the greatest of all time, I'm very hesitant to give an answer because I don't want – anybody to think that I would think that one is not as good as the other because um, they're both phenomenal players. Like to me, they're, they're one and, and one a and how good they are. But, you know, you know, if I had to get the ball in one person, the last second shot, I'm giving it 23. I don't think you can go wrong there, man. I really don't. Um, um, Carolina guy and him putting three championship rings on my fingers. You know, they don't let me back in the state of Carolina. If I don't say Michael Jordan. Exactly. Exactly. Um, LeBron. <laughs> so the year you played with LeBron, was that your final season? I was it, and I was on fumes. And I was like, yeah, how, how did you know it was the end? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I do. Back hurt, <laughs> knees hurt. <laughs> you know, I didn't have as much left in my tank. That was empty. And, um, you know, I remember training camp. We had this young cat from Brazil, Anderson Verjao. He was, he was this Brazilian 18 or 19-year-old ball of hair, and he was running circles around me. And I'd hit him <laughs> as hard as I could every time I see him playing that 90s-style basketball like Rick Mahorn and Charles Oakley trying to slow him down. Uh, and even then, I couldn't keep up with him. But, you know, LeBron came down the middle of the lane, uh, and I stepped in front instinctively and took a charge. And as I'm going back and falling down, or he's crashing into me, I thought, oh, shit. Oops, I'm sorry. I, I hope I just didn't. I hope I just didn't hurt the franchise player, 
Uh, and he popped right up and jogged back oh, down. Up for the way he was, and I tried to get up. <laughs> and I tried to get up a second you time. Didn't pop back up. Uh, those little stars darting in my eyes. I said, "Oh my God! I hope I hope he didn't hurt me." <laughs> <laughs> that's you said. Yeah, I think this might be. I said, it. That's it. Uh, and, you know, I tell the story one time on a play, and he asked me. You know, I was talking about James Donaldson or somebody from you know, way back, even from when I first started. And uh, he, he looked at me and says, "Scott, how old are you?" And I had just turned thirty-seven, so this was late in the, late in the season. And uh, he goes, "You're older than my mom." Yeah, <laughs> so, that, that's tough. I said, "All right, coach. You know, if I'm older than my teammates' parents, uh, I think I should be able to get my pension immediately." <laughs> yeah, I'm, I should be eligible <laughs> right oh, now. I'm done. <laughs> So after retiring, how soon did you know analyst work might be a lane for you? Oh, I, I knew that back in college. That was my goal. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I was in school. I, one of the things that I loved about North Carolina, they had a, a program called Radio Television Motion Pictures. And I gravitated to that like a duck to water. Growing up in L.A., uh, being around that Hollywood culture, that lifestyle, right. listening to a Hall of Famer like Chick Hearn. Um, that's what I wanted to do. I said, if I get my foot in the league, play two years, maybe get myself a radio gig, uh, I can stay around the game that I loved. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to play 15 years. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you played a little bit longer. Yeah, but I started doing some WNBA work when I was still playing here in Phoenix for the Phoenix Mercury. Mm -hmm. And I had another Hall of Famer who just retired this year, Al McCoy. Al McCoy happy trails, Al. 51 years as the voice of the Suns. Um, helped me break down my tapes after games. And that gave me some confidence. So when I was in Cleveland, like I said, <laughs> at that point now, they had put me on the injured list uh, with, with a knee tendonitis, I think it was. Um, like, let's, let's go pick an injury. Let's go with yeah, that. Exactly. And uh, the TV broadcast wanted to do a new segment for their pregame show. with a, And they were going to rotate a player every game to kind of go a little hit right outside the locker room prior to the, the team taking the court. And I said, oh, this is great. You know, it just gives me some rep, something for my reel. And, um, you know, I knocked it out the park the first time. I was, you know, funny and laugh and tell something maybe happened on the road or, you know, keys for the game that evening, whatever. So they built it. And they, so they came to me and said, hey, would you mind doing it every game? And I'm like, well, this is great because it gets me off the treadmill that I had to run, you know, for 20 <laughs> minutes, you know, with the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, so I so they built a little graphic they called it Wisdom with Williams. And away we went, giddy up. And I had fun doing that for every home game. So Mark Price, who was the analyst at the time, decided he wasn't going to come back and do it the following season. So I was right in place. They just offered me the gig. So uh, it was great. So I did it for two years in Cleveland. and got to spend some more time with uh, you know, uh, the Ray Guy. Michael Ray Guy was the play-by-play uh, -play guy. And um, I split the games with Austin Carr. So he did you know, 30, and I think I did 35 or 40. And uh, it was a great combination. From there, I went to Milwaukee, and then uh, Dan Marley got into coaching here in Phoenix. I got to do it here in Phoenix for four years, and then I got into coaching. So it's been fun, and now I'm over at uh, Grand Canyon University, which I never thought I would enjoy the college game. But, boy, How's that been? College camp, well, the spirit at the college campus is fantastic. And uh, the Lopes, uh, Lopes Up, I've uh, been in the NC2A tournament two of the last three years, so we're very excited about what Bryce Drew uh, and company are doing over uh, uh, in Phoenix. So I guess last question, and uh, we thank you for your time. We'll, we'll let you out of here. What's next for Scott Williams? You, you've written, you did the analyst work. You said you <laughs> dipped your toe in coaching. What, what, what's next, man? Well, you know, I, have, I have a media security company here uh, in, in Scottsdale called Anytime Media Security. So that's kind of my day job. But I have a great business partner, Wade Gaborio, who handles more of the uh, more of the, the, door, the, the day, day to day, day stuff yeah. and lets me do the sneak away at night, moonlight, do the do the basketball. And he's been very supportive as uh, of me during the pandemic, being closer to my kids and in Austin and writing this book. And what I want to do with this book, though, is is really try to help some young people out there. When I started this, um, there was five. Uh, suicides at the University of North Carolina. And I remember being in that dormitory, Granville Towers, having some dark thoughts myself. So I partnered with a domestic violence center there called the Compass Center, which is a block uh, from campus. And uh, I'd like to start trying to not only raise funds, but also awareness that there's kids on campus that I've been where you're at. Um, there's resources for you and places for you to be able to talk to and get help. Uh, so that's what I'm very, very proud of because that's something that was, you know, obviously a place real 
a dear to Coach Smith, where he was there for 30, you know, 37 or 40 years. And uh, of course, my mother, who fell in love with, with Chapel Hill. And I also have a partnership here with the Domestic Violence Center that houses battered women and children um, that are survivors of domestic violence here in Phoenix called Chrysalis. So working with them, uh, trying to raise some, some awareness, trying to raise some funds is uh, something I'd like to continue to do. Uh, very powerful and necessary work. Uh, I believe you were telling us before we started recording, proceeds from this book uh, benefit both of those foundations you just mentioned? Yeah, we've had some book signings. Uh, we've raised some money from that. We have one coming up here uh, in Scottsdale at the Barnes & Noble, right off the 101 in the, in the Shea for anybody locally watching uh, on June 17th. Um, we try to do some things with the Suns, going to probably partner with the Suns, do some raffle giveaways, maybe try to do some book signings down in the arena before the game. So, uh, yeah, so you can get the book on uh, Amazon. Yeah, where, where can we get the book? Uh, Tell uh, people. Uh, yeah, it's Amazon.com uh, and Kindle, paperback and hardcover. And at barnesandnoble.com, you can get it in paperback as well. Scott, thank you so much for stopping by the lounge, man. I appreciate you guys having me, and, and thank you for letting me uh, plug my project. Oh, of course. You got an open seat uh, anytime, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we didn't even get into the NBA Finals. I mean, they got Los Angeles, Boston, Miami, and Denver. Who do you got coming out uh, and winning it at all? Man, I, the way it's looking, now that Boston's pulled it out, I think Boston does it. But I, who, who do you who do you think? Takes? Jason Tatum is a bad man. I hate. I don't like to give Dukies a lot of credit like that. I was gonna say that's tough for you to say. I know. Uh, Grant Hill's about the only Duke guy I like, but uh, he he is one bad man. That's fifty one points he had in that game seven were impressive. I, I got a chance to see Jokic up close and personal. I don't know. I think a lot of people give a Denver an opportunity. This kid Murray's good. Aaron Gordon, like uh, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, you know, you're going to give the Lakers a run for their money, but you're right. Probably going to come down to the Lakers having that, that know-how and uh, that good, strong Boston team. We'll have to, uh, maybe we'll get you back on throughout some of the finals or maybe even afterwards uh, talk about what we just saw in the finals. Oh, that would be great. I'm, I'm available that day. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. All right, guys. Right. Thanks so much for stopping by the Legends Lounge brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge and be sure to subscribe and rate the lounge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.